Thank you, Jan. Appreciate that very, very much. All right. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. Should have received an outline in your bulletin this morning. If you did not, if you'll raise your hand in the air. And one of our ushers will get you one of those momentarily. Boys, Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. Boys and girls, ages four-year-olds to kindergarten, you may go to children's church now. All right. Keep your hand raised. They will either give you an outline or take money from you, one of the two. Listen, I want to I want to say something this morning. Um, a couple things. Actually, I'm going to say a lot, okay? So not just a couple of things, but uh, anyway, that's beside the point. Um, y'all didn't want to eat this morning, did you? Or to, for lunch? No. Nobody's hungry, right? So forth? Nah, didn't think so. Listen, I want to say a couple of things. Listen, uh, it's good to see all of you here and stuff. And uh, if you're visiting with us today, we welcome you and so forth. We uh, went back to one service here a few months ago. And so, as I said, we, it, it teaches us, if nothing else, to love each other a little more, right? And so thank you for that. Um, just appreciate your understanding. And as we listen, I think it's great to have everybody all in one service here and so forth. As we continue to reach out. Uh, there'll be time and set for that, but just, just continue to remember, uh, you know, that as folks come in, we want to make room for them and so forth. Uh, I want to listen to you. I thank Marquise and Phil and Kathy and so forth. Uh, we have a full open row up here on the front almost. Okay. So next week, any of you that really feel, um, spiritual. Okay. And, um, and, and you really want to be close to Jesus and be in spitting range. You can sit up here on the front. Okay. So good deal. Um, I want to just, um, I want to say thank you, and um, I just want to say thank you, praise the Lord. Um, I am so thrilled about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, Just give the Lord a hand. We live in a world where there are so many people that care nothing about God. Don't have God do have any, anything to do with God. Don't have Him do anything with them, and so uh, to have you uh, pour out and, and open up and, and, and give like that. Um, if you didn't hear earlier, uh, we had a goal of four thousand five hundred dollars. Um, our given to date is fourteen thousand nine hundred fifty-four dollars and fifteen cents, and so I want to praise God for that. And um, listen, if there's one thing I want us to be known for as a church, and that is that we are a generous church and that we give to the mission of God. Listen, we talked about this in our Discover Southside class this morning, but, and I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, but uh, church is not about uh, what happens in these walls, okay? You are the church, and when we go out from here, that's when real mission happens, Okay, and so if we if we can't keep that in our, in mind, and if we have ever becomes just about us four and no more, then um, we might as well shut the doors. Okay, um, it, 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 each one of us owes our relationship with God to somebody else who took the time to invest in us and tell us the gospel so that we could respond in faith and be saved. 
And, uh, and so we need to have that same mindset for others. If you're here this morning and you don't, you don't know Christ, uh, listen, you can, and we want to invite you to be part of what God's doing here. So I just want to say thank you. And uh, so uh, from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, uh, there's one thing that God has laid on my heart as a vision for this church is that we would be a giving, generous church that would be impacting not only this community, but all across the world. And there are so many more ways we ought to be doing it, and we can be involved, and we need to be doing it, and we will be doing it. And but this is a great part and a great step in that. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are uh, walking, continuing along in our series on the book of Acts this morning. We're in chapter 25, and we've been walking through uh, the book of Acts. And in the latter part of Acts, we've been following the life and times of the Apostle Paul, right? It's kind of been the story of the Apostle Paul. The first part of Acts is, uh, focuses on Peter and the, the second part on Paul and so forth. And we come here this morning to Acts chapter 25. As we get to the end of chapter 24, the Apostle Paul is where? He's not on vacation, right? He's not at Six Flags. He's in prison. He's in prison in uh, the Roman uh, uh, town, uh, the town of Caesarea, the Roman uh, seat of government there in that uh, province. And he's in, being held in prison uh, in, in the city of Caesarea. Now, he shouldn't be there, Right? He shouldn't be. He'd done nothing wrong. He had he'd not been convicted of anything. But if you remember, there had been a riot in, in, in Jerusalem. The Jews had gotten upset at Paul. And then they, uh, the, the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, centurion had had to protect Paul, if you will. And then they were going uh, to beat Paul and so forth. And they found out he was a Roman citizen. They couldn't do that. And so now Paul uh, is being protected under Roman law as a Roman citizen, as he should. But they took him to Caesarea where they've been holding him. Now, if you remember last week... Uh, the Roman governor Felix had heard accusations from the Jewish leaders against Paul. He heard the accusations, and then he heard Paul's defense. And then, what did he do? Nothing. <laughs> he should have made a judgment, right? And, and the evidence was clearly there, that there was no evidence. There was no char- nothing to back up the charges against him, so he should have released Paul. Uh, and, but instead of making a ruling, Felix did nothing. Felix was a procrastinator. He simply uh, sat on the matter. Oh, I need to think about it for a while, right? Uh, well, as, as we've seen and as we continue to see, Paul had done nothing wrong, uh, but, but Felix just kind of sat on and, and because of that, Paul stayed in prison. He was left in prison for over two years. Now, that was the easy thing for Felix to do, right? He couldn't release Paul. Uh, because uh, if he'd released Paul, the Jews would get upset and they would cause a riot. And then, wow, how it wouldn't be too good of a governor then, right? Uh, he couldn't convict Paul because there were no charges. There was no proof for the charges against him. So he just did nothing and left Paul in prison unjustly, unfairly, with unfounded false allegations. I want to ask you this morning, how would you feel if that happened to you? Oh, if that had been me, Pastor, uh, I'd, have, I'd have demanded something be done. <laughs> How would you have acted towards those who had falsely accused you? How would you have responded towards those who had illegally detained you and who had treated you unfairly? Oh, Pastor, I'd have, I, I'd have. Uh, that's probably what we'd have done, right? Well, friends, I believe that's a legitimate question we must answer because I believe we've all been wronged by somebody. Can I get a witness? Okay, we've all been wronged by someone. We've all been treated unfairly 
at times. And friends, maybe you've even faced, like Paul, false accusations against you. Maybe not in a formal sense, but maybe it's from, maybe from a coworker, boys and girls, maybe from your brother or sister, right? Maybe from a teacher, maybe from an ex-spouse. Ouch. Amen. The question is, how do we respond? How should we respond when we feel like we've been, been, been falsely accused and we've been treated unfairly? Now, let me say this. I can't say that Paul always responded appropriately. Uh, when he was wronged. We saw that a few weeks ago. Remember Paul, when the, the high priest, he was sitting before the Sanhedrin, he got angry at the high priest and, and the Sanhedrin. And he said some things, uh, not anything untrue, but still he let his anger get the best of him. But friends, I believe Paul learned some things. I believe how we see Paul today, Paul shows us how we should respond when uh, we are unfairly treated, when we are Uh, have false accusations made against us. And and I believe it shows us how God would have us to respond when we've been wrong. So let's look at our text this morning and let's see what transpires. We're going to begin. Actually, we're going to read the last verse of chapter 24. So let's begin in verse 27 of Acts chapter 24. Says, but after two years, two years, just, just let that soak in for a minute. He'd not been convicted of anything. He'd not been, uh, the charges, there was nothing to substantiate them, but they just left in prison for two years. Been different if he'd have done something, right? (laughs) Nothing. After two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. You see that phrase a lot, and you understand that whoever was governor there, part of their responsibility was to keep the peace. And part of keeping the peace was uh, not having the Jews riot about different things and so forth. And so that's kind of what's behind uh, the deal here. And so I want to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul bound. Now, Felix, uh, for whatever reason, and, and we kind of uh, look at extra biblical material here, and we can see a little bit about what happened here and why Felix uh, went out of, got, got taken out of office and Festus put in office as governor. Uh, here's how the story goes. The, the, the tradition and extra biblical material uh, kind of uh, tells us that, that after Felix did nothing and left Paul in prison, the Jews were unhappy. You can imagine that, right? So uh, it says that they sent a delegation to Rome to protest Felix's, Felix's actions. And because of that, Nero removed Felix from office, pulled him out, took him back to Rome, and instead put Festus in his place. Unlike Felix, though, Festus was not a procrastinator. Look at verse 1. In fact, it says it didn't take him long to start figuring out what was going on and how he was going to rule this province. Verse 1 of chapter 25 says this. Now, when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up to, from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Wasn't a procrastinator, right? Three days later, listen, if he was going to keep the peace, he had to get to know uh, the Jewish leaders and so forth. And so that's exactly what he did. He went to Jerusalem to kind of uh, get to know them and, and, and to, to, to try to keep the peace there. Verse 2 says, Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Now listen, it's been two whole years. Give it a rest, all right? You know, you would have thought 
that, that you would have thought the anger against Paul would have died down. You would have thought that they would have let things go. But here they are still two years later whew, trying to get Paul. And so uh, what happens here? Verse 4. Festus answers in verse 4 that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. So, uh, as he should have been, Paul was a Roman citizen. And uh, fortunately, Festus did not do what they want, what they wanted him to. He said he's a Roman citizen. He should be kept at Caesarea. But he said, I'm going there shortly, verse 5. Therefore, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So he does propose, listen, instead of uh, uh, bringing Paul here, why don't you come to Caesarea? I'll be glad to hear you there and to hear what accusations you have against him. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 6. When he remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. So court is, is in session, and here he is. He brings Paul in, and the accusers, the Jewish leaders, had come down as well. Look at verse 7. It says, When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul. Look at this last part. Which they could not prove. So again, the Jews, just like they'd done before, make false accusations against Paul, which are unfounded, which have no proofs whatsoever, and are definitely not deserving of what they're looking for, Paul's death. So how does Paul respond? Verse 8 says, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So as Festus opened court, the, the, the Jews came down, uh, those unbelieving Jews, the Jewish Sanhedrin, many of them probably were part of that, came down. They made the accusations against Paul. And here we begin to see how Paul responds to them. Now, maybe a younger Paul, a less wiser Paul would have gotten angry, right? <laughs> that's probably what we would have done. Amen. But that's not what he did. And this is where we can begin to learn from this. Number one, How should we respond when we've been falsely accused? Number one, friends, like Paul, we should maintain a Christ-like attitude in how we respond. The temptation, friends, when we are falsely accused or when we are, uh, uh, when we, uh, when we are falsely accused or, or treated unfairly is to get angry and upset. But friends, listen, it doesn't do anybody, anybody any good to get upset. Amen doesn't do anybody any good to fly off the handle. Just notice, we don't have our outline up here, do we? Can we hit that? Uh, it, there we go. Uh, it doesn't do anybody any good to fly off the handle, friends. We need to maintain a Christ-like attitude in everything we do, especially when we've been accused or unfairly treated. I want you to notice what Paul does. He simply states his case. He simply tells the truth. Neither against the law of the Jews, verse 8, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. Friends, many people think that being a Christian means we're supposed to just kind of lay down and take what's coming to us, right? You know, that we're just supposed to turn the other cheek, that we're never supposed to defend ourselves and so forth. Uh, Friends, being a Christian does not necessarily mean that we're not supposed to defend ourselves. But the key is when we do have to defend ourselves or state our case, we need to always do it in humility with a Christ-like attitude and always tell the truth. Amen? Amen. 
That's where we need to start. Now look at verse 9. Look how Festus responded. So Paul here states his case. Verse 9 says, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now, what's going on here? Why in the world is he asking Paul this? Well, in order to change venues in Roman law, you had to get the permission of the accused. Is Paul going to say yes to this? No way. No way. He knows what awaits him. He knew the plot that the Jews had uh, were, were planning to do before. They were planning to lie in wait and kill him. And so no way he is going to. What's Festus do is Festus is trying to come up with a, uh, with, a, with a plea bargain. He's trying to come up with some sort of a compromise. Okay, Paul, well, I got to keep the Jews happy here. And, and I understand you, the, the, there's not really any charge. How about going to Jerusalem and standing trial there? What does Paul say? Uh-uh. Look at verse 10. So Paul says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. Now, it had been very easy for him to get angry. It had been very easy for him to, 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 to kind of uh, get upset about this. I believe he just says this pretty calmly. I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you very well know. So friends, what we see is that Paul maintained his composure. He maintained a Christ-like attitude even in just simply stating his defense and stating what he believed to be true. Friends, one of the things that made the most impact on me in my life is something that happened when I was a kid. I, some of you have heard this story before, and if you have, forgive me, or just maybe you can hear it again. Um, when I was a kid, uh, and uh, how many of you loved church business meetings? Anybody love church business meetings? No? Okay. Anybody ever been in a bad church business meeting? Okay. All right. Maybe many of you and so forth. Fortunately, we don't have those here at Southside, or we haven't, and we praise God for that. Um, and, but it, when I was a kid, I, um, we had a business meeting at one time, and I went I was sitting there in a business meeting, and as a kid, I was just uh, probably doodling or something, you know, playing a uh, video game. I don't know what I was doing. Anyway, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. At the end of the business meeting, uh, my pastor, our pastor, simply said, anybody uh, have anything else they need to say before, before we adjourn? And uh, at that time, a gentleman said, I do. And he got up, and he came to the front, to the microphone, and he began to lay into our pastor. He began to accuse him, you're a dictator, you're this, you're that, and what have you. And, and he just kind of laid into him and laid out a bunch of uh, stuff that was really uh, not true and uh, were false accusations. And uh, I, I don't know, but as a kid, you know what? My blood was starting to boil. You know, it started down here and it started to rise. And I was like, mm, you know, and, and I was getting angry and so forth. But you know what our pastor did? At the end of, after this guy got, got through and he went and sat down, you know what he did? He simply got up and he said, is there anybody else? He didn't even respond. Now, I believe it would have been fine for him to respond, but he didn't. And he didn't, he, he didn't get angry, he didn't get mad, didn't get anything. Now, the end of that story is this. Uh, I don't know all the details of what happened and so forth. But later on, what I did find out was that the guy who had gotten up and spoke was simply had become the mouthpiece for a small group of people who had gotten uh, upset. And here's the cool thing. Later on, that man who had gotten up and made all those accusations against our pastor became one of his biggest supporters because he saw how a godly man 
should respond in the midst of false accusations. And for the rest of that man's life, he became a strong supporter of our pastor. Friends, I am a strong believer that how we respond to personal attacks and unfair treatment speaks volumes about who's in control in our life. Or is the flesh in control or is the spirit in control? I want you to look either on the outline or uh, turn in your Bible, if you will, to, over to the book of Galatians. And if, if you want to look on your outline, that's fine. I've got this in your outline. But Galatians chapter 5 talks about, Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says this. says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And we know these, we know these first part, right? Which are adultery, fornication, a sexual immorality. Uh, th- those, are, those are works of the flesh. Uh, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery. But look at the next part here. Look at the next few. Hatred, contentions, jealousies. What is the next one? Outbursts of wrath. So let me ask you a question. When we respond or when we get angry all of a sudden, are you in the spirit or in the flesh? You're in the flesh, according to the word of God. But look down a couple of verses, verse 22. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we respond in gentleness and kindness and uh, are controlling our anger, are we in the spirit or in the flesh? We're in the spirit. So as believers, which should we be listening to, the, the flesh or the spirit? We need to be listening to the Spirit. Amen? We need to, and if we're listening to the Spirit, friends, then we will allow Him to control us. We will allow Him to keep a a realm on our tongue. See, here's the problem. How how many times have you said something that you didn't mean to say? Ever, Ever done that? Okay. And then what do we follow that up with? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that, right? You know, uh, that's not really what I meant. Now, let me say this, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble by saying this, okay? But here's the deal. When we say something, we only say it because that's what we're thinking on the inside. Amen? And so, uh, being a believer of Christ follower does not mean that we just let God take care of the outside of us. We've got to let him come on the inside and change us from the inside out. Amen? So that he changes our desires. He changes our heart. He changes what we love. He changes what we hate. He changes all those things. And if we don't let God have control of our heart and allow him to change those things, then we'll continue to struggle with those uh, outer issues because they are just a reflection of what's in our what? Heart. So, friends, that's why we need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus to change the ugly in us. Amen? Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Friends, when we maintain a Christ-like attitude and we let the Spirit be in control and we let gentleness and and, and let the Spirit help us have self-control in those instances, friends, we are maintaining a Christ-like attitude. And we can do that even when we're under attack. Amen? That's number one. First way in which we respond when we're under attack or when justly treated and so forth is to maintain a Christ-like attitude. Number two, and friends, this also has to do with our attitude, and I believe it's also just as important. But not only do we need to maintain a Christ-like attitude, but number two, we also need to be respectful. And here's the S word, 
and submissive to authority. We need to be respectful and submissive to authority. Now, can we be honest? Because normally preachers lie all the time, you know. (laughs) Just kidding. None of us like to be submissive, do we? None of us. Uh, The very nature of our, uh, uh, the very, uh, at the root of our sin nature is a selfishness that wants to do what we want to do. And we want to be in control of our life and we want to be the authority of our life. And ain't nobody going to control me. And so that's being submissive to authority is, 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 is contrary to our very nature. But let's look at verse 11. I think this is unbelievable. Okay? Look at verse 11. Look at what Paul says. Verse 11, he simply says this. Uh, he says, For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Now, look at that. Friends, is that not being submissive? You want to talk about it? Friends, most people try to get out of punishment even when they're guilty. Amen? Paul says, listen, if I'm guilty, then kill me. You know, Chris, I couldn't help but to think when as we were singing this morning, Chris said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Just not right now. Amen? <laughs> not, I mean, you know, it's going to be great. And I don't think we fully understand that. I know what Chris was saying and so forth. But, but, but here's the deal. Listen. Paul literally said he submitted himself. He said, listen, if I've done something worthy of dying, I don't object to dying. If I'm guilty, kill me. That's submission. Amen? Then what he says, but if there's nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. So if I'm guilty, kill me. But if not, what is he really saying? (laughs) Let me go. Let it go. Let me go, right? So uh, Paul's attitude is one of willing submission to the law and to those in authority over him. But here's the deal. I want us to look at a couple of other verses, friends, because I want to show you just Paul's general attitude here towards those Roman governors. Look back in chapter 24 at verse 10. Chapter 24, verse 10. Just, just the chapter right before. Says then Paul, remember this was after, this was the last chapter, we talked about this last week, after the Jews had made the accusations, and now Paul gets a chance to give his defense. Says then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, he was replying to Felix, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation. Now, as we talked about last week, Felix was not a nice guy. He was a pretty bad uh, uh, governor and a a pretty wicked man. But here Paul is acknowledging the fact that he is the authority under which uh, he sits. I want you to turn over to chapter 26, verse 24. We'll look at this more next week. Turn over there. Chapter 26, verse 24. Paul's going to get an opportunity to tell somebody else's story next week. Verse 24, he says this. Now, now as he thus made his defense, talking about Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. So we'll talk about this more next week. But Festus gets a little bit, a um, uh, little, little uh, red under the, under the skin there. Verse 25, it says, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and reason. So here, in the midst of this, even when Festus gets angry and, and responds uh, in, in, a, in a lively way, Paul maintains his composure. Not only that, friends, he continues to show uh, respect and submission for those in authority. Most noble Festus, right? 
Now, here's the deal. There may be times when we don't agree with those who are in authority over us, right? Especially when it comes to the governing authorities, amen? There may be times when we don't agree with whoever our congressman is or whoever our mayor is or whoever our president is. Uh, In fact, there's probably a lot of times when we don't agree with them. But God still commands us to treat them with an attitude of respect and honor. Amen? You say, but pastor, they don't deserve our respect. They don't deserve our honor. Friends, they may or may not, but God still expects it. It's what God expects from us. Uh, Friends, order in society is based on respect for and submission to those in authority over us. Whether that's our parents, whether that's our school teachers, whether that's our Sunday school teacher, whether uh, that's uh, just the law in general, or even our president or policeman or whoever. Whenever we show disdain for those in authority or respond to them in a way that shows disrespect or a lack of submission to their authority, you know what we're doing? We are chipping away at the very backbone of our society. And when we contribute to that as Christians, and there are many Christians today, so how do we not do that, friends? What we're actually doing is we're showing disrespect for God, friends, because God is the one who has allowed them to be in the role that they're in. Now, that's hard for us to understand, amen? But let's take that down a few notches, and I think it will help us to understand. Let me give you an example. You know, nowadays, uh, when kids get in trouble... Uh, Whether it's in school or in daycare, you know, those little rascals can really get into a lot of trouble, right? (laughs) When kids get in trouble, whether it's in school or in daycare, even maybe in church, and and, and there's a disagreement of sort, maybe between our kid and the teacher or our kid and their youth leader or our kid and whoever, uh, what are parents, what do parents do nowadays? It shocks me. It shocks me. Many parents are awfully quick to take their kids' side. Right? How dare you treat my kid like that? How, how dare you not teach my kid any better? You know? Now, now listen. It, it's a lot of times, you know, our kids come home and what do they say? Oh, well, you know, so my, my teacher did this or my teacher said that and stuff. Why are we so quick to question the teacher? You say, Pastor, because they may be wrong. They might be. So might you. You want your kid to question your authority every time you're wrong? Here's the deal. Friends, what are we really doing when we do that? When we are questioning, the, 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 when we take our kid's side versus and, and, and don't support the teacher, here's what we're doing. We're teaching our kids to disrespect and question all authorities in their life. And guess what? That includes Includes God, but also includes you. It includes you as the parent. So when you are questioning that teacher, here, here's kind of the deal. And, and, and we don't get this because we've just kind of taught our kids different than this. I mean, occasionally you always get this kind of thing. And a lot of times it's between themselves when arguments happen and so forth. But our kids know that don't come complaining to you about your teacher to me or don't come complaining about your coach to me because I'm going to support the coach. I'm going to support the teacher. Because here's the deal. Kids comes back. You wouldn't believe what so, Miss So-and-so did to me. Uh, you know what my first question is? What did you do to her? Right? Because here's the deal. Most of the times, most of the times when teachers, and I'm not saying that, that occasionally teachers are going to line and stuff like that, friends, but we need to, listen, think about the fact that what you are teaching your kids. 
You are teaching your kids to disrespect authority. Uh, we In parenting class this past week, I don't know if I remember this illustration uh, perfectly, but uh, J.D. Greer tells an illustration, I believe originally told by John Piper, said he was uh, on an airplane. And uh, this, this young teenage boy was sitting uh, on the airplane. His mom was sitting right next to him. He was playing his video games. They came over to the intercom and said, uh, hey, it's time to put up your devices and everything. We'll be taking off in just a few minutes. So the little boy just continued, or the young man continued to play on his video game and uh, so forth. And uh, they said it again. Uh, then the, the stewardess came by and he continued to play. Finally, the stewardess came to him and said, young man said, you're going to need to put that away. The young man kind of rolled his eyes, put it under his book until the lady walked by and then pulled it back out. And John Piper says, I sat there and watched the mom do absolutely nothing about that. Friends, when we allow our kids to disrespect others in authority, you wonder why they roll your eye, their eyes at you. They don't have any respect. They don't have respect for any authority. No wonder they don't come under God's authority. Amen? Listen, there are, God has placed umbrellas of authority in our lives. And you know why he did that? It's for our protection. So I love that illustration. If you just think, I've seen it drawn before. If you just think of an umbrella, okay, and our boys and girls, And I know many of them are in children's church and so forth. But boys and girls, you are under your parents' umbrella of protection. Why? Because your parents know more than you do. Okay? And God has given you to them. And so their responsibility is to protect you. And and, and here's the deal. When we rebel, what do we do? We go out from under that umbrella. And guess what happens when we go out from under the umbrella? We don't have any protection over us again, right? Because when we, when we get outside of the protections that God has naturally placed in our lives, then we put ourselves in danger. Listen, there's an umbrella of protection when we stay uh, in submission to God and his word and we build our life on his word. Amen? And it doesn't mean everything's going to go always perfectly for, for a believer who follows the word. But here's the deal. There is an umbrella of protection and we go outside of that umbrella of protection and then we say, God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? God says, why are you running that way? (laughs) The bottom line is this, friends. God expects us to honor and respect the authorities in our lives, whether we agree with them or not. Uh, I think I said this Wednesday night in our class, but what type of obedience is it when we only obey when we agree with somebody, when we agree with the authority. For your kids, when your kids only obey when they agree with that, what kind of obedience is that? It's disobedience, okay? That's disobedience. That, that's conditional obedience. It's obeying only when we want to. You know, what, you know what another word for that is? Doing life your way. That's called sin. It's called rebellion against God. And when we continue to do that, friends, we question everything God says and we question whatever. Listen, friends, now God gives us answers and he gives us a lot of reasons for stuff, friends. But just like with your parents or your boss, listen, if your boss had to explain everything, every decision they made to every worker in the plant, you'd never get anything done. Some of the rules they place that you and your coworkers think are stupid are for your protection. And it may, you may not have any idea what it's there for. Your boss does. And they've done that for a reason. 
So what do we do? Well, they're not around. We don't have to follow that. That's not a submission to authority. That's not respecting authority. And friends, here's the deal. You say, well, that's them. That's not, I, I honor God. Listen, let me just get this straight. Those umbrellas authority go like this and God's on the top and the others are placed in his, in our lives by him. Look at Romans chapter 13 here. Look at what it says. Romans chapter 13, verse one. says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is talking about government. This is talking about our civil authorities here. But friends, this goes and applies to, 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 I believe, all the authorities in our life. But it says, let every soul be subject to the government. Listen, it doesn't say let those who agree be subject to those over them, right? It doesn't say those who like what their boss is saying be subject to that, right? No, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, look at this, except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what? The ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But, 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 but pastor, what if they're wrong? What if they're, what if they're an evil ruler, leader? What if, what if they are anti-God? What if? What if they are? Let me ask you this. Do you think it'd be the first time in history when that happened? <laughs> Absolutely not, and it won't be the last. Do you think God has left his throne? Absolutely not. Friends, let God handle it. Amen? Do you realize who was in power when Paul wrote this? Nero. When Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 about submit yourselves to the authorities and so forth, Nero was in power. One of the most uh, uh, ruthless rulers, killed Christians in, in horrifying ways and so forth. And, 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 and Paul still said, be subject, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Friends, listen, when, when we do things our own way, we are doing not what God wants, but what we want. Amen? Listen, that's when we need to turn from that and trust in Christ. Amen? Friends, our respect and a submission to the authorities is not to be based, shouldn't be based on are they worthy of respect or not, friends, but instead on our respect for God. Let's stay under those umbrellas of protection. Amen. How do we respond when, when, when we're treated unfairly, when we had false accusations? First of all, like Paul, I believe we need to have a Christ-like attitude. We need to maintain our composure. We need to with gentleness and self-control and all those things. Number two, friends, we need to be respectful and submission, submissive to those in authority, whether, whether the accusations come from them or from somewhere else, friends. Uh, that's uh, the attitude we need to have, friends. And uh, very simply, the third way we should respond, I believe, friends, is we need to entrust our future to God. Just need to simply entrust our future to the hands of God. Say, well, pastor, what's going to happen? What if this happens? Just trust God with it. Amen? He's in control anyway. Why not give it to him and stop worrying about it? Amen? Amen. Look at verse 11. I want you to look at how Paul finished his defense. He simply says, uh, as he, as he we catch back up with what we were saying there, if nothing... If there's nothing in these things of which these men can accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. 
So an appeal to Caesar, once granted, took the case out of the control of the governor, took it out of the governor's hands and put it in the hands of the Roman emperor, who at that time uh, was no longer Caesar, but was actually uh, Nero. Verse 12, Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Now, wasn't this crazy? Pastor, you just said that Nero was what was emperor at that time. He was the one who was infamous for killing Christians and stuff. Wasn't this crazy? Was there any guarantee that Paul would get a fair trial in Rome? No. Luckily, this was at the beginning of Nero's reign, so he had not gotten to be that ruthless yet and was not uh, really known for that. But there was no guarantee that Paul would get a fair trial in Rome. But do you know why Paul appealed to Caesar? Because I believe he knew that God had already said that he must testify there. Paul was trusting in God. Remember uh, back just a a chapter or so, chapter uh, uh, 23, verse 11. God says, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so also must you testify for me in Rome. Friends, Paul believed God, made his appeal to Caesar, and entrusted his future into the hands of God. Here's the temptation we have. The temptation we have when we've been mistreated or falsely accused and so forth, friends, is we try to manipulate the situation, don't we? We try to, we try to take control of things ourselves. Friends, here's what I want to encourage you to do, to just simply trust God with the situation. But, 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 but pastor, what, what, what if God doesn't work the situation out like I want? Do you trust him? Do you trust that he has your best interest at heart? Do you trust that even when in the temporary circumstances may be painful or hurtful or harmful, do you trust that he's working all things together for your good? It's what his word tells us. Do we trust it? Amen. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't bad things that go, that go on in our life. There are. I'm not saying that, that, that there's not things that we have to deal with. There are, friends. But the, we try to control things so much, and we tend to drive ourselves nuts. Simply give it to God. Honor him in the way you treat others, in the way you respond to the stuff that's happening to you, whether it's false accusations or mistreatment or unfair treatment or whatever, friends, and, and let God be in control because he already is. Amen? You say, but Pastor, what if God does allow something bad to happen? You know, life is so unfair. You know what? You're right. Life is unfair. Let me tell you something else. God's unfair. Now, before you stop right there and tweet that and call me a heretic, okay? (laughs) Explain what I mean. Friends, God's not fair. And you better be glad for it. What does it mean to be fair? It means everybody gets everything equal and, and, and I get what I deserve, Pastor. I deserve so much. You know what we deserve? We deserve death and hell. Do you want God to be fair? I want God to be graceful <laughs> and merciful. And friends, that's exactly who he is. God is a graceful, merciful, loving God. He's a holy God. Therefore, he, he has to punish sin. We're sinners. If he's going to be fair... We would have already been condemned, judged, and be in hell. 
But God is loving and good and forgiving and merciful. And he, before we even knew we needed it, sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven and he can give us new life. Amen. Friends, aren't you glad God's not fair? And friends, if God treats us that way in speaking about eternally, don't you think we can trust him now? In the midst of what's going on, in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of pain, whether it be physically or emotionally, in the midst of hurts that are hurled at us, friends, we need to lean and rely on the Lord. Amen? There is no other. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been under attack. Because here's the deal. We have one that's always accusing us. His name's the devil. So whether it's somebody humanly speaking or whether it's an attack from the evil one, we have an advocate with the Father and his name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can be reconciled to God and have new life in him. And so even though we deserve death, hell, and judgment, God is willing to give us life and eternity and glory. You say, well, what have I got to do to get that, Pastor? All you have to do is simply believe that he took the price for your sin when he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took your sin upon himself. And he is willing that if you believe that, he'll give his righteousness, his perfectness to you and clothe you with the robe of righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ that you're wrapped in. And therefore, even though he is holy, he can accept you and love you and welcome you into his family and his forever as a child of God. Where are you today? Friends, what are you dealing with? How have you responded to the stuff that's going on in your life? There's only one way that's going to solve your problems, friends, and that is to respond by trusting in God. Have you done that? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Just for a moment. No funny business going on here. But friends, I just want to ask you this morning, whether, it's, whether you've uh, never put your faith and trust in Christ Maybe for you've, you've wrestled with that, you've struggled with that. For the very first time today, you want to say, you know what, I, I need Jesus as my Savior. I, need, I need, need, need Him in my life. I need to stop dealing with all this stuff on my own, but I need to be forgiven for my sins. I need to stop doing life my way and turn and trust Him and build my life on Him. Friends, if that's the desire of your heart, I just want to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand? Just slip your hand up. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. For those who put your hand up, here's what I want you to do. I just want you right there in your seat to just pray with me, asking Jesus to come in. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I've been doing life my own way. But I've come today to realize 
that that way is a dead end road. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to live my life forgiven by you. Friends, the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's a promise of God, friends. So if just now you have invited Christ into your life, that's God's promise that you are now a child of the King. You can praise God. We'll praise God with you. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with unjust accusations, with people treating you misfairly, friends, and you have not been handling that as you should as a believer. And today you want to just simply trust God with whatever situation it is you're dealing with. Maybe right now, I just want to invite you, would you just give it over to the Lord? Just right there in your seat, just give it over to Him. Just a couple of minutes, we're going to open up our altar here. I invite you, if you'd like, you can come, kneel at the altar and just just pray and, and give it over to God. Lord, help me. Lord, just I trust you with this. Lord, I'm going to try to stop manipulating it, Lord. I'm going to stop worrying about it. I'm going to stop being uh, acting like I'm in control of it, Lord, because I know that you are, and I submit myself fully to your control. If that's your heart, I want to invite you to just respond to the Lord in that way this morning. Maybe there's some other way you need to respond to the Lord. You need to come make Southside your church home, friends, whatever it is. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. And today, Lord, give us the courage to respond to you as we need to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.